Welcome, one and all. This is Robert Rogers from, you guessed it, Parkinson's Recovery. Parkinson's Recovery is dedicated to provide support, resources, and information to individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. We interview on our radio show guests from across the globe from a wide variety of backgrounds. Some individuals are healthcare professionals who have discovered amazing kind of options that are helping people with Parkinson's symptoms reverse them. Others are individuals who currently experience the symptoms and have explored various options that are helping them reverse their own personal symptoms. So I have, I'm pleased and proud and honored to report an amazing individual, an amazing man who has discovered exercise to be a miraculous answer for him, Lyle Gibson. Uh, who many of you may actually know because uh, some of the best-selling uh, books that he's actually written is my guest today. Uh, he has quite an amazing background, a baseball player, a tennis pro. He's played with Bill Cosby once and Ken Flack, and he's also a Boston Marathoner. So I just want to say, Lyle, thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time out of your day to be a guest on the radio show today. Well, thank you, Robert. It's a real pleasure, and thank you for asking me. Well, my first question, because your book has been so well received, how did you decide to write a book? Well, actually, uh, I, I didn't initially. It was my wife that kind of pushed me towards that. Uh, my wife, Janice, um, you know, I guess as a as an athlete or whatever, sometimes you tend to take things for granted. And I had done quite a few things, that, I, and I was just always an athlete in my mind. So um, she thought I had a number of stories to tell. Plus, you know, I, I started a running club a number of years ago, and a lot of those people also kind of pushed me in that direction. You know, we talk about different things on the runs, and uh, they thought I had a lot of things to things to uh, tell people. So from those experiences, uh, a book formed. Well, we all thank your wife for giving you the inspiration yes. to uh, do something that apparently you had never done before. What was your first remembrance of a love of being in motion? Uh, the very first time, uh, well, it, it's actually in the book, I think, right at the beginning. I was uh, I was four years old, and uh, I'm from Iowa, by the way, southeast Iowa, Iowa. Burlington is the town I'm from. And at that time, we lived in a little, not really a suburb, but a, a town kind of connected to Burlington, West Burlington, Iowa. And my father worked in an office about five miles away in downtown Burlington. Well, I was again, four years old, playing out in the yard one summer and doing what I was supposed to, staying in the yard. And then for some reason, my mother went in the house or, or something I can't really recall, but I decided I wanted to see my dad. So I, uh, for some reason, took off running through the streets of West Burlington, down the busy streets of Burlington. I knew right where my dad's office was, and I ran five miles with, basically without stopping to see my dad. And I surprised him, and I surprised uh, my mother, too, when she got the phone call and came to get me. I'm, I, I guess I'm kind of lucky to even be here after all of that took place, <laughs> when you think about it. So 
I, I remember getting in a little trouble, but I, not not a whole lot. I think they were just happy that I was alive and well at that time. But that was my first five-mile run as a four-year-old. Oh, my God. Four years old. Not five, not six, but four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. This is your host, Robert Rogers, founder of Parkinson's Recovery in 2004. My guest today is Lyle Gibson, who is the author of the book titled a Lifetime in Motion, what we're just talking about, The Lessons Learned from a Student of the Games. Now, your book highlights your experiences in baseball, tennis, running, and coaching. Did you ever have any success at any other sports? Well, I, I think I was kind of an all-around athlete. I just love to try them all. Um, yes, I, I guess I could... I would have to say I did. I, I was a city racquetball champion at one time. I won a couple of table tennis tournaments. Uh, a bowler, I bowled for quite some time. Uh, averaged over 190 in college leagues. I even won a horseshoe tournament when, when I was 12. I just happened to walk into a, a tournament that was being held for adults, and they had a little 12-year-old division. I decided to enter, I entered it and won that. And I played some <laughs> basketball. I ran some track. I ran some cross-country. So I... I've pretty much done it all. Talking about a natural athlete, Lyle. Well, my God, somewhat, somewhat natural, but I, I did have to work pretty hard at it too. So, and I think that was right. one of my my things. I, I I got I was pretty dedicated and uh, relatively disciplined too. I think, and that that helps a lot. So, it was one of the loves of your life, very clearly. Oh, you bet. Yes. Who was your biggest influence when it came to being an athlete? Well, I think like a, a lot of kids, probably I would have to say my father, number one. I mean, I had a lot of good coaches along the way and all that, but uh, my my dad was a, a real sports nut and quite an athlete in his own day, along with all his brothers. They were all very athletic. In fact, uh, one of his brothers was on the uh, Cleveland Indians roster, spring training roster back in the war, and the war took him away from baseball. So, um, you know, and both my my mom and my dad were very supportive supportive of me, you know, as I was growing up, never never being pushy, uh, you know, not making me competitive. That came about myself, you know. They never went overboard. So I've always tried to convey that that same uh type of thing to to my own kids. I have three boys and also to the kids that I coach. Are your boys athletes too? Uh, they were. In fact, uh, I, I really didn't say much about myself. Do you have a minute where I can tell you a couple things about about myself? Oh, my oh family? please do. Please okay, do. Okay, well, I've been married to the same girl, my high school sweetheart, Janice, for about 43 years now. It'll be 43 years in August, which is hard to believe. Uh, I'm 63 years old, which is even more hard to believe, but I don't know where the time went. I have three sons, and they're all grown. Uh, Jason, he's in Kansas City with his wife, Casey. Justin is in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, with his wife, Lizzie. And then I have a son, John, who's unmarried, and he's in St. Louis. And all three of the boys were were very good athletes. Um, in fact, Justin was a first-team All-State baseball player, and he held 13 school hitting records at Coe College in Cedar Rapids, and Jason was an all-conference player. John was just an excellent athlete, but he kind of chose to follow his mother's footsteps in music, and he's a terrific musician. So 
and the two oldest boys have given me uh, and their wives have given me four four grandchildren. I have uh, an 18-year-old that's graduating next week down in Kansas City. He's quite a baseball player himself. And his brother is 16 years old, who's a, a really good golfer. And then in Cedar Rapids, I have a five-year-old granddaughter and a three-year-old grandson. So they're all terrific kids, and they bring a lot of joy to our family. So, And then as far as I go, um, I graduated from Monmouth College, where I played baseball, Monmouth College, Illinois. And I uh, got my degree there, my bachelor's degree, and then I ended up with an MBA from California Coast a little later on in, in life. And for the past 18 years, I've actually been a human resource and safety and marketing director for a, a general construction company of about 300 employees. So uh, that's quite a quite a task at times. It's uh, have to be quite flexible on that. But prior to that, I spent about 13 years in the utility business, and I was a tennis pro for a number of years before that. And uh, through it all, I've I've been a sports fanatic, an athlete, and a coach, and always had that thirst to be in motion. So that's pretty much where we are today. So, Well, my curiosity, Lyle, is, is your wife also an athlete? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> she, if you ask her, she would say yes. She actually won the sixth grade high jump championship in, uh, in, middle, in grade school here in Burlington. Oh I guess that would make her an athlete. And I did train mm-hmm. her to run a half marathon. So she ran a half marathon several years ago and Ran the whole way, the 13.1 miles, and, and that was a thrill for her. So, so yes, I guess I'd have to say she is an athlete. The whole family and, are athletes. <laughs> right, right. We're all St. Louis Cardinal baseball fans. So, um, uh, Of course. How did you get to play tennis with Bill Cosby? Well, that was during my tennis pro years. Uh, I, was, I was a tennis pro in my mid to late 20s and ran a pro – shop and uh, racket club here in Burlington, Iowa, and he actually was in town uh, for a civic, they called it civic music back then, but it was just a a concert, and he was quite a tennis player, to be quite honest. Uh, In fact, World Tennis Magazine back at that time, he was in his early 40s at at that time, I was in my late 20s, they had ranked him number one in the world as far as celebrity players go, so he was quite the athlete, and he would often, often travel with his own tennis pro wherever he went. And when he came to Burlington, for some reason, the pro didn't travel with him. I guess he didn't really want to come to Iowa. He didn't see any real purpose in that, I guess. But So we got a call one night uh, at the uh, tennis club, and it was from one of his secretaries, and she asked if there would be anybody willing to play tennis with him before his show. This was about two weeks prior to the show. And, of course, being the only tennis pro in uh, Burlington, Iowa, I gladly volunteered at that time to play tennis with him. So we ended up playing uh, three three pretty long sets that night. It's kind of an interesting story actually, but uh he got to the he got to the club and all of his tennis gear had been shipped to Iowa City, University of Iowa because he was to perform there the next night. So I had to loan him uh some tennis gear, you know, tennis clothes and a racket, which I just happened to have the same racket that he used at the time. I oh. can still remember that, a Prince Pro. And it was kind of funny. He was so competitive. He, uh, Before we went out on the court, he asked, he said to me, I'll tell you what, I'll play you two out of three sets for the close. And he goes, if I, I win, if he beats me, he will pay full retail. And if I beat him, 
um, I'm sorry, if I beat him, he has to pay full retail. retail. If he beats me, he gets 40% off. You know, and what am I going to say? <laughs> I'm, I'm a lowly tennis pro just trying to make a living, and here's a guy worth millions and millions of dollars. So anyway, we went out, and it was supposed to be a, a nice, quiet evening for him because um, he likes to relax before his shows. But somehow the word got out, and there was probably 75 people in the crowd watching as as we took the court so i was a little worried that he he might back out and just walk away but he was very cordial we got on the court he never said a word all he wanted to do was was beat me i mean he he wasn't funny at all at the time on the tennis court and uh, i was a little nervous at the time to be quite honest but uh, i pulled off the first set i think it was like six two or something and that settled me down i beat him the next set i think it was six 6-2 or 6-0, oh, I can't remember. And I felt really good about that. So I went up to shake his hand, and he said, get back there, we're going to play another set. I know I can do better. So I beat him 6-0 oh again, and that was that. was that. We went in the locker room, and he was the funniest guy I'd ever seen, ever heard. <laughs> everything that came out of his mouth was witty, and I just thought, how did he think to say that? And we talked about everything under the sun. And then he was about half an hour, 45 minutes late to his show that night because we sat there and talked about tennis and the Tonight Show and just all sorts of different things. But uh, he did his fat Albert imitation for my, my little boys, and uh, they were little at the time. And he, It's kind of funny. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but the next morning I went to the tennis club, and he had left the racket that I had loaned him on the counter, and I went to put it away, and on the leather grip it, he had written, Bill Cosby played with this and lost. So oh, he still had like that, that grip. I sold the racket because I needed the money back then. But I still <laughs> have that grip somewhere up in the attic. But anyway, uh, you know, I, I'm really sorry to see everything going on with with Bill these days because he was very cordial at the time, and, and it's just kind of hard to believe that the things that are being said now are true. But uh, you know, who's to judge? I'm not. So, right. But it was quite an experience. Sounds like it. What was your greatest moment or moments in sports? Oh, gosh. Actually, I had quite a few of those probably. It's kind of hard to say, but uh, probably three different things that I come to mind right off the bat. As a 50-year-old, 50 to 58-year-old man, I won five national championships in the 50 and 60 and over baseball tournament uh, that was held in Las Vegas. I'd go out there every year and ended up winning like I said, five national championships. So that was really a, a a really cool thing at the time. I've qualifying for the Boston Marathon. I did that seven times. That the first time I qualified, that was a real thrill. And then getting to run it was a, a super super thrill. Yeah. And then maybe one other is actually a case where I actually lost a tennis match. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to play the uh, number one doubles player in the world we were playing it was a doubles tournament by the way I, was, I had another partner of course we didn't know who the guy was but it was two brothers from st louis and this one guy was just so incredible the younger brother and i played so good i, I mean it's the best tennis i ever played and you're, you're probably thinking i'm going to say we won well we didn't we lost six three six three but i never played tennis that well in my life and uh about a year later i'm watching wimbledon on a Saturday morning or Sunday morning, whatever, and here's this young kid in the championship match of the Wimbledon doubles final. His name was Ken Flack Jr. 
and he became the number one doubles player in the world along with Robert Seguso, and they played Davis Cup for the United States for a number of years and were ranked number one for, I don't know, two or three years. Oh. Won a gold medal in the Olympics, and so it was just a thrill. I guess it made me think that there's a real fine line between the greatest players in the world and hacks like us, you know, the guys that are trying to get there. So, wow, <laughs> so it was a lot a of fun, glory. but yeah. it raised the level of my play a lot, that's for sure. So. It sounds like it. Well, I'll ask you the opposite question. What was one of your most humbling experiences as an athlete? Well, it's kind of embarrassing, actually. I'm not sure I want to tell you that. <laughs> no, I will, though. Um, I was getting into running real heavy and decided I really liked that. Not as a four-year-old. This was more like a 30-year-old, 32-year-old. And I was improving fairly fast at the time, and this was my first year of running. And I thought, well, I'm, you know, I, I won a couple of local races and, and placed high in a couple of races, and I thought, I'm ready for the, at least, not necessarily the big time, but at least run, into some, run in some of the bigger races. So I ran in the Big 7, which is a, a huge race in Davenport, Iowa, about 18,000 runners. And a lot of the best runners in the world happened to be there. So I was running and doing quite well, and it's a seven-mile run. And we were coming down the final stretch at about six, six and a half miles, and I could hear people screaming and yelling along the side. And I knew it wasn't for me because I'd only been running a few months, but just in front of me was a, a woman by the name of Joan Benoit Samuelson. I don't know if you've ever heard of Joan Benoit. She was the first... Uh, Olympic champion in the women's marathon in 1984. Oh. She was just ahead of me, and I thought, "Wow, this would be kind of cool." Now, I know it's a it's boy against girl, but still, this is an Olympic champion, and I thought this will this will show people I'm I'm just about where I want to be. So, I worked hard. I caught up with her. We went through the the shoots almost simultaneously. Uh, she might have finished a step or two ahead of me, but I was really proud. I thought, "Wow." I stayed right right there even with a world champion, a, a Olympic gold medalist. That night they replayed the uh, entire race on a local TV station, and they interviewed Joan Benoit after she came through. And I, you know, I was telling my wife, well, look, there she is, blah, blah, blah. And I stayed right with her, and then all of a sudden they said, she said, I am seven months pregnant. So I was pretty pleased how fast I ran, even though I was seven months pregnant. So I got beat by a... <laughs> A pregnant lady, but so I, I kind of kept things to myself. I didn't brag about it too much to all my buddies after that, but she was very gracious and quite a runner, still is. Yeah. This is your host, Robert Rogers, founder of Parkinson's Recovery in 2004. My guest today is Lyle Gibson, author of A Lifetime in Motion, Lessons Learned from a Student of the Games. I have a question I want to ask you about your book. Who are the life lessons you end each chapter with directed at? Well, originally when I wrote the book, um, as far as the the life lessons, they were for just just about anybody, athletes and coaches in particular, and, and parents. You know, I think you always hear about sports can teach a lot of life lessons, and I, I really believe that's true. I also think there's a lot of coaches out there that can teach some bad life lessons, uh, and I didn't want to do that. I've always I've always tried to be very uh, 
supportive of the kids and, and try to teach them the best I can and, and try to be good citizens and that type of thing. So it was basically directed at them. But then as I was finishing the book, I was almost done with the book, and that's when I found out I had Parkinson's disease. So I had to write a, a new unplanned final chapter, I guess I call it. And uh, that one happens to be more directed, I think, towards people with, with the disease and, you know, some of the things they can do to help themselves uh, by staying in motion. I didn't, I didn't change the theme of the book any. I just uh, directed that chapter a little more at other people, you know, afflicted with, with Parkinson's or, or other uh, diseases, that, uh, neurological diseases. that we, we've, we found out that exercise can really benefit a lot of people, I think. So... Um, that's where that went. So basically, at this point in time, I guess you could say the book is directed at just about anybody. So, uh, there are life lessons that can be carried on through, throughout life. You know, through whether you work, you're working or or playing or or whatever, or if you're healthy or if you are disabled or whatever. So uh, I feel pretty good about that. It it turned out pretty good from that standpoint. When did you discover you had Parkinson's? Well, I was kind of, not kind of, I was actually misdiagnosed about age 57. Uh, I was running. We had a, a really nice running club. A bunch of people, We started. I started the club, and most of the people were, you know, in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. And as about age 57, I, I was running. In fact, I remember we were running a 20-mile run that day, getting ready for a marathon, and at about 17 or 18 miles, the last three toes on my left foot started curling under. And I didn't think much of it. I, it didn't feel like a real cramp. I mean, you know, a cramp can really hurt. This didn't necessarily hurt, except you just can't run with your toes curled under your foot. So I stopped and stretched them out, and I had to do that every so often. And finally got through the run. And then as time progressed, what I would notice is I'd go out and run maybe the next time 15 miles and it would start curling they'd start curling at 12 or 13 miles and then pretty soon at eight miles and then at five and it got to the point where finally I would go out the door to start running and I couldn't even get a block and the toes on my left foot would would curl under so I ended up going to the University of Iowa hospitals and they diagnosed me with runner's dystonia is what they called it now they did at one time the doctor mentioned it could be a a sign a possible sign of Parkinson's, but he didn't see that as a factor at the time. He he didn't think that was the case. So, mm-hmm. so I actually went through about three years of misdiagnosis, and I mean, and I'm not putting doctors down at all. They did a wonderful job, you know, on different medications. In fact, you know, the runner's dystonia, the medication they gave me, had I had Parkinson's, it would have been the same medication, and it it worked pretty well for a while, and then of course it started wearing off, and that's when things started showing up. Mm-hmm. And they misdiagnosed me with a, another thing uh, called Potts syndrome, and uh, I can't even think of the actual term. You may know that, but it basically has to do with blood pressure and standing up and that type of thing and getting dizzy. And so, you know, we kept changing medications and things would work for a while, and then pretty soon it would wear off. And finally, one day I was coaching high school baseball, and it was 95 degrees out. And um, 
I had pitched batting practice. Of course, here I am, 60 years old. Probably shouldn't be doing that in the first place. But I pitched batting practice to about 16 people. And we had a double header that late afternoon. And we drove. Uh, I drove my car separately. It was about 15 miles away at the field that we were playing at. And I never felt right right from the beginning. Um, got there, I hit some balls to the kids and you know played a little catch, and I was feeling dizzy and all sorts of things. It just didn't seem right. And things just kind of got worse as the night went on. It was still 95 degrees, and the sun was just pouring in on the dugout. I was trying to get to the first base coaching box from the third base dugout, and I was running sideways and feeling dizzy and kind of thought maybe I was having a stroke. But I do remember that second game I was – Standing there with my hands on my knees and thinking, I don't, I don't remember where I parked my car. Mm. This is just a little tiny field, you know, a couple little parking lots. I, I couldn't remember at all, so it's kind of embarrassing. I waited for everybody to leave after the game was over. I mean, everybody. I kind of hid behind the concession stand, and after everybody left, I found my car. And I don't remember even driving home that night. But uh, I called the University of Iowa the next day, and they changed some medications and. They still hadn't said it was Parkinson's. Basically, I uh, like a lot of people. I guess I, you know, I got on Google and started researching um, a lot, and the symptoms I was seeing seemed to match up really, really close. You know, they did show the ten signs of Parkinson's or whatever, and I seemed to have like eight or nine of them. So mm-hmm. I told my wife, I, I, you know, I made another appointment at the University of Iowa, and I kind of warned Janice that. I think they're going to tell me I have Parkinson's when we go up this time. So we went up the next day or whatever, and that's exactly what happened. I was told I had first-stage Parkinson's. So kind of devastated at the time, but uh, also kind of good to know what was going on. So we had some choices of treatment then at least. So can you say a little more about how you took this diagnosis initially? Um, How I took it initially? Well, I was pretty pretty depressed, actually, to start with. Um, I just didn't take it very well. There was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of questioning. Why, why me? You know, here I am. I've spent, my, I've spent my whole life in motion, trying to stay in shape, you know, trying to be the best I could be physically. And all of a sudden, they're telling me I have a a disease that can't be cured. And, uh, so, no, I, I, I really didn't take it well at first. Um, it actually was my wife that kind of, again, here's my wife. I found out you have to have a very good support system, by the way, when it comes to a disease like Parkinson's. But she kind of cornered me one day and, and kind of got me out of my funk by reminding me that, you know, I've had a lot of challenges in life. I've ran 16 marathons. If you can run 16 marathons, you can get through this. And, you know, I started believing her, and um, I really appreciate that she brought that up because, you know, I, I, I agreed she's right. If I can run 26 miles, I can I can get through this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I still have, I have a lot of good days now, and still a few days aren't quite as good, but she was a terrific motivator. And... Uh, the other thing is, you know, I've got a lot of really good friends, and I think that's the support system is so important. You know, you really know who your friends are, I guess. Um, I had a lot of people support me through the good times, you know, when I was an athlete doing, you know, winning trophies or whatever, but 
it's even more important now to find that they support me when I I'm not going to win those trophies anymore. Yeah. That that really shows that you have some true friends, and I've I've got a lot of those. So I'm, I'm very lucky from that standpoint. Now you've been speaking all over the place. How did you get started on the speaking tour scene? Well, um, actually, it was a guy I worked with kind of got it started. To be quite honest, uh, he was the head of the local Optimus Club. And once the book came out, you know, I was doing some book signings locally, and it seemed to be selling quite well. And he he thought, well, you, you know how these service clubs like to have guest speakers all the time, which is a good thing, you know, to educate the public on what's going on. He asked me if I would speak to their club. And uh, I thought, well, yeah, I can do that. I, I'll give it a shot. And it seemed to go over really well. You know, I I was part book salesman, I guess. I mean, I had to, had to do that. But the fact that I... Uh, you know, I got, I got, to, I guess I got to that unplanned final chapter, and that's when it kind of got serious. People started realizing that. In fact, I had people come up afterwards saying, "You know, you got me motivated to start exercising again." And these are a lot of healthy people. And one of the people at that particular uh, session had Parkinson's, and they were a member of the uh, local Parkinson's support group at the hospital, and. They talked to their people out there, and they got me to speak at the local Parkinson's support group out there. And then somehow the word kind of spread, you know, I guess one Parkinson's group to the next, to the next, to the next. And anyway, I, I've i ended up speaking to about 30 uh, Parkinson's support groups around Iowa and Illinois. And I, just a couple weeks ago, uh, we went on a whirlwind tour. We were in Kansas City one night. The next morning, we got up and drove four hours to a town in Iowa, spoke there in the early afternoon, drove another two hours after that, spoke that evening in another Iowa town, then drove a couple more hours, spoke in Davenport, Iowa, the next afternoon, and got up on a Saturday morning and drove over to Des Moines and spoke again. So, I mean, just, you know, we put a couple thousand miles on the car and spoke four or five times. Yeah. And, you know... We've sold a few books because of that, but I found out, you know, that's totally secondary at this point in time. Um, what I've found is a lot of people are motivated by it, and I've had so many people come up to me and say, you know, I haven't exercised in in so many years. And In fact, I had one older lady, probably 80, 85, she says, you know, as soon as, as, soon as we're done here, I'm going to go down to the gym, and I'm going to get on a, a bike, and I'm going to ride because I haven't done that. Uh, she had Parkinson's, and I thought, now, that's what it's all about right there. And I've had that happen so many times, so many different people. Um, you know, whether they're in their 40s or all the way up to close to 90, people are starting to get back into exercise. And, and, you know, I'm not trying to push it on them so hard. I mean, people are only capable of doing so much depending on how, you know, where they're at in their life and with the disease. So, you know, I just tell them do what they can do, you know, they don't have to run marathons. You know, if you just can wiggle your fingers or do something or get on a bike and pedal gently for five minutes, anything helps. And, you know, from my standpoint, you know, from what the doctor has told me at least, I, you know, I saw him about a year ago and then I saw him again not too long ago. He's told me he hasn't really seen any difference in my progression, which 
doesn't mean things aren't going to change, but he says keep exercising because he's a firm believer. You know, the studies seem to be indicating, I don't know if it's been proven, but that exercise tends to slow the progression down. And even if it doesn't do that, it definitely helps you, uh, you know, from a strength standpoint, flexibility standpoint, social standpoint. Uh, there's just so many endurance standpoint. It just does so many good things. And, you know, we always talk about the healthy people doing exercise, but I think it's even more important for those of us with Parkinson's and other disease to, to get out there and do something because it just it just helps a lot. And one thing I, I've noticed, I've kind of picked up on people when I've been speaking, a lot of them tend to uh, kind of seem to back into a corner, you know, once they find out they have the disease and they kind of quit doing things. And now they're getting into these exercise classes, and, you know, from a social standpoint, they're just like brand-new people. So it's just helping them so much. So even if it's not curing the disease or, or whatever, it, it's making them feel better about themselves, and it's helping them physically and mentally and, and socially. So that's kind of where we're at with that now. So I feel good. I just I just want to get out there and try to inspire people to, to get out there and do something. You know, Michael J. Fox is, is such a terrific inspiration, and he is to me too. And, you know, he wrote that book, Lucky Man, and that's kind of where I feel I am right now. Um, you know, when I first was diagnosed, I wouldn't say I felt lucky, but now I, I, I feel lucky that I've been able to do so much. And now I feel like I've helped a lot of people, and I want to keep doing that. That's kind of my goal right now is to, to get out there and, and keep speaking to people and and try to inspire. If I can just ins- inspire one person out of 20 people in a class or whatever, I'll feel good about that. So we want to keep that going as long as we can, I guess. You know, I, I look at Michael J. Fox. He's the uh, the Major League Hall of Famer, right, when it comes to Parkinson's and advocacy. But uh, I'm like a Class A, double A guy myself. I want to work my way up to triple A or maybe someday work into the major league aspect of that. I just want to get the word out there for people. Keep exercising. My my new motto is motion is the magic potion. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. I'm your host, Robert Rogers. You're listening to Parkinson's Recovery Radio. My guest today is Lyle Gibson, who is author of A Lifetime in Motion, Lessons Learned from a Student of the Games. Tell us more, Lyle, if you would, about what exercise has done for you now that you have Parkinson's. Well, um, I guess we kind of talked about it a little bit, but it's still it's still a big motivator. Uh, that's the one thing I haven't lost that thirst for mo- for motion. You know, I've still got to get out there and do something. Uh, you know, it keeps my body in good shape. I keep, like I said, it keeps me more flexible, stronger. I think I still have pretty good endurance. I'm not going to run a marathon probably in the next few days, but I still go out there and run, you know, three to five miles at a time. Um, allows me to stay social. You know, running with friends and 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 now I can run with my wife a little more. I used to be a little bit faster than her. Now it's a, we're a little more even, so we get to spend a little more time together doing that kind of stuff. Uh, I still get a lot of satisfaction, you know, from just finishing a run. Where it used to be, I had to run 26.2 miles. Now a four or five mile run does the same thing. It just makes me feel good, and it just helps my day. I, I start out every day, you know, I usually get up at 4:30 or 
five at the latest and start my exercise program. And, um, I, you know, I was diagnosed officially with Parkinson's on December 19th of 2013. And I haven't missed one day of exercise since that day, not one. And there's been a few days where I haven't felt real good, but I'll still, I, I'm obsessive compulsive. So I still get out there and do something, you know, even if it's just 20 minutes. But my, my typical routine is, you know, like I said, I'll get up by 4.30 or 5. I usually do 10 to 15 minutes of yoga and stretching. Um, yoga, by the way, when you work for a, a company, uh, I work for a general construction company of 300 men, basically. You don't mention the word yoga around them, but that's okay. It's, it's, a, wonder, it's a wonderful thing, but uh, it really does help a lot. Um, after I do my stretching and yoga, I usually do like 15 or 20 minutes of strength training. You know, I have some light dumbbells, some elastic bands, isometrics. I don't lift heavy weights. I've had three shoulder surgeries. Thank, thank you, baseball and tennis. Um, but I try to try to keep the upper body strong. And then I go to my cardio, and I I like to run, bike, you know, an elliptical trainer, that type of thing. Usually 30 to 60 minutes. And then the one thing that I've added to that. And that came from the local Parkinson's support group, the guy that was leading that group, a physical therapist. He had sent me a, a list of um, face exercises and exercises and voice exercises because I know a lot of times, you know, you get the masking effect with the face, your hands, you, you start to, you know, you write small or whatever. Your voice tends to go. I, in fact, I was just watching a thing on Linda Ronstadt, how her voice is gone now. But I spend at least ten minutes doing face, hand, and exercise and voice exercises every every morning. So, you know, if my wife comes down, she probably thinks I'm nuts. But you know, I'm singing the scales and I'm singing doe a deer, a female deer, all that kind of good stuff, and mm-hmm. reciting my ABCs and then making these crazy faces just to try to uh, keep the muscles strong and flexible and that type of thing. And then I like to do a little bit of meditation before I leave. You know maybe five minutes and just kind of think about uh, how lucky I am and and how the day is going to go and say a little prayer in hopes that things go well today. And, you know, I think that's important. The faith is always there. So, you know, I really believe in that. I think we got a, a lot of possibilities here. There's a lot of good things on the horizon when it comes to Parkinson's and um, Got a lot of people out there working for it. I think things are just going to get better and better as time goes on. So, anyway, to this point, since December nineteenth, two thousand and thirteen, I have not missed one day of exercise. So, I'm going to try to keep my record going as long as possible. You are an inspiration. Tell me that is an obsession. Obsession. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, when you're about ready to speak before a group, do you set a goal? And if so, what is it? Um, oh, when I speak to a, a group of people? Yeah. Yeah, basically the goal is to try and convey the importance and the benefits of exercise, you know, regardless of the health you're in, you know, whether you're healthy or not. Um, to those that aren't so healthy in particular, I guess, is what I, I try. I, I want to, like I said before, I want to inspire, I want to motivate I want to get someone started on an exercise program that hasn't done it in a long time or has never done it. In fact, I've seen that several times. I've had several, actually, I can think of three different ladies that have come up and said, you know, I never have exercised. I never had any desire to. I never seemed to find the time. And she's, 
and they've all said basically that I've motivated her to, them to do that to get started again. So they're that, that's what I, I want to do is get people motivated to to get out there and do something, move their body, and find out. You know, life isn't over. You know, there's a lot to do. In fact, you know, life isn't ending when you have Parkinson's. To me, it's a new beginning. I guess I've. Um, I've actually started a couple of new things myself, you know, that I've never, I've kind of wanted to do over the years, but athletics and everything, coaching has kind of taken that away from it. I've started learning to play the guitar, and I'm probably not going to be in any big rock band soon because I've only got six or eight chords down so far, and, and those are kind of shaky, but I am learning to do that. I'm trying to learn to be a better singer. I've sang with my wife in church, and I can tell you that I would never have done that even five years ago, you know, I, she's a musician, a great musician, and um, we've actually sang some songs in church together, and I, I just love doing that. That's been a, a big thing. So I guess what I'm finding out, you know, and telling people is there's other things that they can do, you know, exercise and find other things in life to do. It's not over. There's There's other options out there. You can be a more well-rounded person, so... There is a link to Lyle Gibson's book on the radio show page. The book is titled A Lifetime in Motion, Lessons Learned from a Student of the Games. Lyle, how else can individuals acquire a copy of your book? Well, Amazon.com is is a really good place. Now, if you live in Burlington, Iowa, there's a couple of really nice bookstores, but you're probably not going to be there. But uh, you can order, you know, through Barnes and Noble, Amazon.com. That's probably the Michael J. Fox Foundation is in, has uh, recognized it. You can go to the Michael J. Fox Foundation, and it's on there. So, those are probably three or four of the best places right there. Well, how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to be able to continue a discussion with you? All they have to do is give me a call. Uh, I'll give them several. I can give you several numbers. And they don't have to hesitate any time. I'd be happy to speak with them. Um, my home phone number, is that okay to give it to you? Oh, please. Right now? Okay, 319-752-7353. And I think the number you have there might have a two at the end. It's actually three. That's why you didn't get a hold of me. So. There you go. There you go. And they can always call me at work, and I'll get back to them. And that's 319-752-4571. And I work for a wonderful company, and, and the boss won't mind, I'm sure. So he's been a big, big supporter. Do you have any plans to write another book? Uh, actually, I've already started. I started writing, and of course it's sports-oriented. I probably should have thought about the Parkinson's thing a little more. I want to write something on Parkinson's and exercise. But right now this is another sports-oriented book. Not quite as pristine as the, the first one. I mean, there's nothing bad in it, but it's more behind-the-scenes stories of, you know, you guys go out there and watch a game or whatever, and you ever wonder what the pitchers and catchers and the infielders are talking about on the mound or what they're doing in the dugout or what what's going on in the locker room? People don't under, really understand all that. That's, that's what's really cool, some of the camaraderie and the, the crazy things that go on. So that's what the, this book is about, a lot of... Again, kind of lifetime experiences that actually happened to me as a coach or as a player. But a lot of funny things, actually, more than anything else. But I do want to get back and, and write a, uh, something with, uh, that deals with Parkinson's and exercise. My wife wants me to write a novel, 
so we'll see about that. So I, I, I'll be able to retire here in a couple of years, and I think I'll have a lot more time to do that because I really enjoy writing. It's just hard finding the time. I still work, you know, 50 hours a week or more and uh, still coach baseball, and I still try to get my runs in and all that kind of good stuff, my exercise. So time is kind of limited right at the moment, but a couple of years we'll have a lot of time to do a lot of things that we want to do. So looking forward that to that. That's exciting. A whole series of books, it sounds like, are going to probably be coming out here over the coming years. Yes. Well, oh, the, the other thing, the book is uh, the World Parkinson's Congress, I guess, is being held in October out in Portland. And my book will be on display there, too. So that was kind of neat, uh, kind of an honor, actually. Oh, that's wonderful so news. People are attending that. I hope they can look forward and maybe pick one up, maybe learn something. Now, Lyle, you've talked uh, about some of the recent changes you've made and how you're spending your time. What are your goals from here? Well, I guess, again, writing, uh, that's that's a big thing. I want to remain in, you know, and strengthen my advocacy on uh, living a good life with Parkinson's, uh, you know, and, and telling people the benefits of exercise and and, and a good support system. I think that's important too. You know, get get a good support system. Your family and friends. And um, I guess that's that's pretty much it. And, you know, and have faith. I guess always have faith. Don't don't lose that. There's always that. Uh, we got to have the God factor in there. I think. Um, keep praying because I think you know one of these days we're going to find it. All these wonderful scientists and researchers are going to come up with something that's just fantastic. It's going to change the world, and I think it's closer than we think from what I'm reading and what I'm seeing. So, anyway, but I again, I just want to get out there and try to inspire people who need a little push in a positive direction because a lot of these people that I see when I speak to them don't really have that positive attitude. I mean, there, there's some that are wonderful, but there's others that, you know, you, you kind of see them sitting back in the crowd and kind of shying away from things, and that's the people I want to really really want to hit and inspire and motivate. If I can do, like I said, one or two of those people every time I go out, that's that's a terrific goal, and that's, that's a good thing. Some listeners of the radio show today have actually just been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, what would you like to say to them right now? They've been just diagnosed. Well, again... Just again, just um, heard the news. Just heard it? Well, you're, you're probably going to uh, start out like I did, probably not believing it's happening to you and or why it's happening to you. But, again, have faith. Um trust things are going to get better because it, it always does and you're going to have some really great days there is going to be some days that aren't quite as good as others but um, try not to try not to think about it too much try to think of the positives try to find things to do new things possibly get out there and exercise if you can you know whatever you're capable of doing and I'm not saying you have to run a marathon but if you can get out there and, and just move a little bit it just I think you know it gets those endorphins flowing and you just feel better physically and mentally so and stay social i think that's that's to me a big thing you know go back into that corner get out there with your friends i know i had some anxiety at first and that was that was tough but you know i forced myself to get out there and 
you know, when I first was diagnosed, I never would have thought I would be speaking in front of, you know, 165 people, which I did a couple of weeks ago. Um, I kind of had to force myself to do that, and now I'm glad I did. It's just, it's wonderful. And you meet a lot of really neat people. Um, life isn't over, believe me, with Parkinson's. It's just, like I said, it's just beginning. There's a whole new thing out there for you. So be positive. Lyle Gibson, on behalf of the thousands of listeners of Parkinson's Recovery radio shows, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to tell us your miraculous and fascinating story of how you've responded to uh, having a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Robert. I really appreciate it. It's been, it's been great. It's been wonderful. Thank you. And that's what's happening on, you guessed it, the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact you are listening to this radio program today, that you indeed are on the road to recovery. May you have a delightful and spectacular week. Know that all of our radio shows are recorded and archived. You can listen to any of the shows at any time of the day or night. This is Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. Good day. Thank you.